0: The problem is, pride and inattentiveness are really, really a problem in our lives. And they are closely connected. And I want you to understand something. God speaks in really obvious ways to us. But, I mean, it can be as obvious as a kung fu gorilla in that scene that you just ignore Because you're focused on something else. And pride and inattentiveness are really, really crucial things to conquer in your life, or at least to to work on. And I want to show you in the book of Daniel, I want to read a story to you. It's a famous story. In fact, the phrase that probably most of us in the room have heard, the handwriting on the wall, comes from this famous passage in the book of Daniel. So in in Daniel chapter 5, I want to start reading there. If you don't have a Bible with you, and it's on page 619 in the uh, paperback Bibles that are under the seats in front of you, I'd really love for you to follow along with me because it's somewhat of a a long story, and I think if you read along with it, it'll help you to to track with me. So we're going to start in verse 1, Daniel 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, who was the previous king, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his conc- concubines, drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods, of go- uh, excuse me, the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Anyway, uh, his his mother hears about it. She comes in and says, "Listen, you need to send for Daniel." I'm going to summarize here, uh, because your father Nebuchadnezzar recognized that Daniel had this unique gift. He had this connection with God, and if you can't figure it out, Daniel can't. If nobody can figure it out, Daniel can't. So, verse thirteen. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, "Are you Daniel?" one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now, I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. And then he offers them a reward. And Daniel says, listen, you know you can keep your gifts, and uh, I don't need any of that, but I will explain the writing to you. So he looks at the handwriting on the wall. And then Daniel says in verse 18, O King, the Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples of the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you didn't honor the God who holds in his, uh, who holds your life, excuse me, who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson, which means, Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have weighed, been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, and a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, this story is really simple. The king's having a party, and I'm, there's something about the, this particular setting that, that you don't know, probably don't know if you don't know history well. So I'll explain that to you, but let me tell you what's happening. So imagine there's a party in the room, and all of a sudden on one of the walls, a plaster wall, there's a hand appears, like this disembodied hand, fingers, and it starts etching into the plaster these words. You know, pretty cool party trick. Except the king, who controls the party, knows it's not a trick. And he's a little freaked out by it. And because it seems it's, it's by a lampstand, so it's, it's spotlighted. It's in the king's royal palace. It's his house. He knows this is a message to me. I don't know what it means, but it's clearly a message to me. Now, he couldn't understand what it was. In fact, none of his, uh, no one who's at the party could understand. When he called in all the counselors and everyone who you know, had any learning or, or a knowledge or intelligence, none of them could explain it, so they brought Daniel in. But let me tell you about this moment that they're in. This day, we know from historical records, his city was surrounded by the largest army at that time that had ever been amassed in history. And his city was considered to be an impregnable city. And there was, a, there was a river that ran through it. And they had faced sieges and attacks before, and they'd survived them. And so the king is sitting in his palace, and he's celebrating, because the gods that he believed were behind his power, his victories, were still with him. He had defeated all these other nations and, and, and all the gods that they were serving. And so he just thought, well, let's just you know let's 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 taunt uh, the gods of all the nations, so they brought in some of the items from the temple in Jerusalem, and they used them uh, in their party and they and they they you know lifted a a cold one to this these idols that they worshiped that they believed had given them the power that they had and the and they the influence that they had in the world and all the victories that they'd had because this was the superpower of the day. So the king is sitting there. He's partying, and this handwriting goes on the wall. He's a little freaked out. So Daniel comes in, and uh, and actually this is the last day. We know historically this is the last day of this man's kingdom and life. But he doesn't know that, okay? He doesn't have any idea because things are cruising along just like they always have. He is on top of his game. His armies are, have beaten everybody. They've survived everything. They're the, they're, they're the sharpest pencil in the box. The whole nine yards. The guy, but the, What Daniel says to him is really simple. He says, listen, I want to remind you of something. Uh, after he turns down the king's uh, rewar, re- offer of rewards, if he, if he explains it to him. Because Daniel knows I can explain this to you. But you're not going to like it. He said, do you remember your dad, who was a way sharper guy than you? He's the one that laid this whole foundation of this empire. He's the one who, who really made it happen. Do you remember what happened to him? He got to a point in his life where he got a little big for his britches. And he got puffed up with pride. He thought that the whole thing was a result of how sharp he was and all of his gifts And God spoke to him and warned him in a dream. And I told your dad, God was warning him, that if he he kept going down this road of pride, that God would humble him. That God could humble him even if all the nations of the world couldn't humble him. Because up to that point, he had had an un-checked series of successes. One after another, after another, after another. Every battle he entered into, they won. He was the best general, he was the best leader, he was the best everything. And one day he was sitting in his palace and he said, and he, and, you know, up on the top of his palace and he saw his city and then out beyond the city, all, everything that, that he had achieved. And he just kind of went, yeah, I did this. And what Daniel warned him, because God had given the king a dream, that he couldn't understand, Daniel interpreted it and said, this is going to happen to you if you don't humble yourself. And so the king didn't. And he went through seven years of being out of his mind and and living like an animal out in the fields until he was willing to humble himself and say, God's the one that made this happen, not me. And as soon as he did that, everything that he had had was returned to him. And so Daniel says to this uh, son who's taken over for his dad, listen, God got your dad's attention, and God got your dad's attention to say something to all of us about who really runs things and the kind of attitude that we're supposed to have as a result of that. And your dad was a proud man, but he became a humble man with God's help, the hard way. Do you want to experience that lesson? Because obviously you haven't learned the hard way what the truth is about why you're in the place you're in. You're the king because God gave you, the the God that I serve, the God that you mocked in your party is the one that gave you this position that you're in. And, and you not only ignored him and didn't honor him, you mocked him. And so he's telling Belshazzar this, and, and this is obvious. This, this is the point. It was obvious to everybody that God humbled your dad. But you didn't listen. You didn't see the kung fu gorilla because you're proud and he just punctuates it you're you're a proud man and this handwriting on the wall is a real straightforward message from god to you that god has numbered your days and brought your reign to an end boom and he said, meany, meany. And that, that whenever, that, that's sort of a prophetic shorthand. When God repeats something twice, it means it's going to happen now. It's not going to be delayed. He repeats it twice. And he used four words from a common market language. God has numbered you. He's numbered you. He's weighed you. In other words, God's the judge, not you. See, the king had a lot of power. He was the one who called the shots. He decided he wanted to write a law for this, write a law, you can't do that, he could do it. But he became foolish and thought that he was the one who had the final say, and he didn't. God had given him that, and he was responsible to God, and he had lost complete sight of that. And so he, now this this may sound a little heavy, but Daniel says to him, listen, you're going to lose everything you have, and your kingdom is going to be divided. You're going to lose everything you have. And the simple lesson, which is repeated, it's a, it, there's a, this, the point of this lesson is repeated all through the Bible, over and over and over again. And you should memorize this point, because it's actually a scripture that's repeated God is opposed to people who are proud, but he gives grace to people who are humble. God is opposed to pride, to human pride, but he gives grace to people who are humble. So, Daniel, at the end of this story, again, is promoted And the king and his whole world unravels. And the the lesson for us, believe it or not, there's a contrast here between Daniel and this king. It's and and it and it sort of play. It it, it illustrates this point that God is opposed to the proud; He gives grace to the humble. the The king refused to. He stubbornly refused to humble himself before God, even though. He saw, in a sense, the dancing kung fu gorilla. His dad, what happened to his dad for seven years, got everybody's attention. Don't you think that got everybody's attention in the whole kingdom? God was using the most obvious object lesson he could to show who he was. Everybody saw it, but this young guy refused to humble himself. And his pride, in a sense, dehumanized him. This is what pride does to us. It dehumanizes us. Because the most normal, natural thing in the world is to be able to understand, to be able to recognize things. And, in fact, to be able to hear God speaking to us is normal. We're we're made in the image of God. We're made by God. He loves us. We're supposed to be able to hear his voice. But pride is what hinders us. It dehumanizes us. It, it, It ruins our capacity to hear from God, which is the most important thing that we can experience in the world. Secondly, his pride deceived him. He thought he could do whatever he wanted and there would be no consequences. And our pride dehumanizes us and our pride deceives us. When we're in the grip of human pride, we think we can do whatever we want and and we can get away with it. And this the story is a lesson, a hard a hard-learned lesson that that's not true. Third, his pride slowly destroyed his life. This is just the end of it. This is just the end. This is the final word on his life. But his pride destroyed his life. And I read a quote this week uh, that it takes a long time to destroy our lives. It takes a whole long time to really destroy our lives. But we can do it, and pride will be at the root of, of every life that's destroyed, every life that's wrecked, every life that's unraveled at the heart of, the, of what's causing it is pride. And it's a tragic thing because Pride is something that is expressed in the presence of a gracious and generous God. Pride doesn't make any sense unless you you see who God is and you see his generosity and goodness. Then you see what pride is. So pride's not just this human attitude that's out here free-floating in a vacuum. It is seen in the light. Of God's generosity and goodness that's what his dad learned because God said to him I've given you all this for you to enjoy and all this for you to use for the benefit of other people if you're proud I'm gonna humble you because your pride will destroy you and it will corrupt you and it will cause you to harm the people that you're supposed to serve and the good that you're supposed to do that I gave you your position to accomplish will not be done and you're going to be accountable to me for that. And I care about the people that, that I've given you this position to serve. So Daniel, though, he was the contrast of that. He willingly humbled himself. He he was a a foreigner, an exile from a defeated people that the Babylonians had pulled in to serve their country. So we defeated you. We kicked your butt. Now you're going to lose everything, and you're going to come and work for us. And most of the, many of those conquered peoples just became slaves. Daniel got this privilege of working in the king's service, which gave him all these opportunities and things. But, you know, you know the story we've talked about the last few weeks. But what Daniel did, he humbled himself. There's three characteristics you can see of Daniel in this book that are characteristic of humility. Number one, he sought God in prayer. He was in touch with his humanity and his need, and he didn't live like God didn't exist. And so when there were problems, they would come to Daniel because he seemed to have the answers and the resources. But it it wasn't And even said once when they came to him and they said, Daniel, we heard of your reputation. He said, listen, don't be fooled by my reputation. The only reason that I have that reputation is because God's given me grace. It's because he's helped me. He's a very humble guy in that respect. And that wasn't just sort of a, a, a cliche, a polite cliche. That was, the, that was the conviction of his heart. He was a humble person. And our prayer lives are a reflection of the pride we have in our life. Because prayer is something where we stop our activities to spend time with a God that we can't see or feel or hear directly unless he communicates to us. And it, it is in itself an expression of humility. And there's lots of ways to pray. I mean, there's, there's many, many ways to pray. And I'm not denying that, you know, one of those prayers you pray in your car isn't meaningful. But prayer isn't just like a text to God, You know, I don't know too many relationships that could survive on just texting. Do you? Or passing little conversations. A relationship is something that's deep and rich and it's mutual and it's two-way. Well, you can see that in Daniel's life. Secondly, he cultivated an attentiveness to God. He learned that God might come into my life as a kung fu gorilla, and I need to be paying attention. I need to have my heart open. I need to be focused and saying, God, where are you? I don't want to miss a moment where you might be speaking to me. And our pride will keep us locked in this sense of self-sufficiency unless God's like, you know, you know, God's gentle knock, we, we don't hear that. He has to, like, he has to take a sledgehammer and beat on the front of our door. It shouldn't be like that, because that really takes a toll on the door. Right? If God has to do that in your life, it, when, when it gets to the point where he has to write on the wall, you're in trouble. Do you understand? And, and some of us are in that situation now. The handwriting on the wall is, is personally relevant for you because you realize God has gone past the showing you what he wants through the life of some other person. And he is banging on the door of your life and he's writing on the wall. And, and it's got a lamp stand that's illuminating it so you won't miss it. But your pride is mucking it up. And Daniel, he not only was someone who sought God and was attentive to God, he obeyed God. Because that's another thing that really reflects humility is that we're obedient to God. We trust that God's will is really good. In fact, this is what the king said. The, 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 The verse before the story I read, was the king who had just experienced this humbling, King Nebuchadnezzar? And at the end of it, he, he, he expresses this, this note of praise to God. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. Daniel was the one that taught the king that. And, and Daniel taught that because he had learned it himself the hard way. Because we, we only learn the hard way. We, we only learn the hard way. But we don't have to learn. It's going to be hard, but we don't have to learn if we hold on to our pride. And the king, at that point... And this, this story, the king had had three successive lessons from God, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, where God saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, I love you, but you are a knucklehead. And I need to teach you a few things, and I'm going to help you. And if you see... The way that Daniel communicated with King Nebuchadnezzar, he had this fondness for him and he, sh- he spoke to them respectfully and kindly. But when you see Daniel talking to this guy at the end of his life, he, he doesn't have any time for him because this guy has foolishly, proudly stubbornly rejected God's will, and God was out of patience with him. It takes a long time for God to lose patience with you. You have to go a long time. And he was reaping now what he sowed. And Daniel's secret was not his own virtue. I want to just kind of pull this to the end of this. Daniel's secret was not his own virtue. I'm not holding Daniel out and saying, Daniel was such a virtuous person, we should all be like Daniel. Everybody be humble like Daniel, because that would be just trying to tell you to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. And our whole culture does that. It says, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can do it. You know, the, the magazine covers, Money Magazine, here's this self-made guy, rags to riches. And, you know, all of us, we've got our, the tops of our boots up around the tops of our legs, Uh, the, The soul has been ripped through. We pulled so hard, and we have not achieved anything. That's not Christian spirituality. The gospel is this. Jesus did what we didn't do. He lived this perfect life because he was God in the flesh. And where we failed, he succeeded. And then he died for our failure, and then he extends his hand and says, if you trust me, I will bring you to that place that you can't ever get by yourself. You can't pull on your bootstraps hard enough. You could get the top of your boots up around your neck if it was possible, and you couldn't become a humble person. Because all the means that you use, the tools that you would use to try to change your own heart, would not yield humility because if you did it, then you would just get more proud. And all the tools we use of fear and bribery only appeal to the broken part of us. If someone's telling you you gotta change it because you don't want to be, you don't want to end up in a bad place, right? Or change so you can get this good thing, all that does is that appeals to a part of you that's not noble. But the cross appeals out of love to people who've blown it and failed and says, Jesus will do in your heart something you can't do. And if you follow him, this is what Daniel knew, even though he didn't know Christ, he knew God. And he knew if I depend on the God who's created me and invited me into relationship and made a covenant with me, He's promised that he will work in my heart in a way to conquer this pride that I can't ever defeat on my own. And I want to tell you something. Every one of us sitting in this room, our lives are, have been or are being or will be wrecked by pride if we don't check it. Like the guy said in the movie, if you don't check it, you're going to wreck it. I don't know if you saw that movie. Anyway, okay. Obviously, not very many people of you see these movies. I'm going to have to use movie quotes that everybody's seen. Okay, I'm only going to watch a quote from Star Wars, I guess. Well, if you don't check that pride, it is going to wreck your life. Now, I'll bet if you looked at where your life is, where you've crashed and burned in your life, you can see pride at the very heart of that, that stubbornness that I can do things my way. I don't need God. I don't need people. I can hide my weaknesses. I don't ask for help. That's pride. That's the root. Jesus died because we wouldn't admit we were wrong. So he took all the wrong that we did on himself that we wouldn't own. He was innocent, and he took our place and owned it for each one of us, for every person who's ever lived and ever will live, for all the wrongs that we've ever done and ever will do. He died for every one of those because we wouldn't do it. But because he was God, when he died, there's a power in his death that can be released in the life of anybody that opens their heart up to him. That the power of his perfectly humble life will begin to be formed in the heart that opens up to him. And it's the only way it can be formed. Because every once in a while people say, John, you're a humble guy. And my response has become, I have a lot to be humble about. You don't know the mess I've made over my 61 short years, God does. And it was such a mess that Jesus had to die for me. And I, you know, I was thinking about this message and thinking, wow, this is really good. I'm, I, I, I need to, we need to hear this. And, and I felt the Lord just speak to me and said, you need to hear this. You need. So the last day I've just been sitting with this and thinking, wow, I am such a proud person. It's like, I am so much like Belshazzar. And and what I want to ask you to do for a second before we pray and close is I want you to ask yourself where there's handwriting on the wall of your life. Where is God trying to get your attention because there's a problem, there's a mess? Now, I don't mean a mess caused by somebody else. But oftentimes, a mess that's caused by somebody else, we've contributed some part of it too. And in uh, Psalm 19, here's what the psalmist writes. It's in the the psalm where it says the heavens are declaring the glory of God and they pour forth speech and then uh, it talks about the law of the Lord's perfect and and the whole psalm is about how God speaks to us all the time. God spoke to Belshazzar through his dad through probably many, many ways and in the end, he finally, he had to make it, totally obvious by writing on a wall. God's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. And at the end of this psalm, the, when, when the Jewish people sang this psalm, they would sing this prayer at the end. They would, because they were hearing, God, we're singing. We're singing, God, to you, that you're speaking to us all the time. But to facilitate a proper response, this is what the end of the psalm says. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant servant also from willful or presumptuous sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's a moment of reflection where we're saying, God, you're speaking to us all the time through nature, and you're speaking to us through your law, which is good. Your word's perfect. But, Lord, a lot of times we're totally proud and, in, and inattentive to you, and it hinders us from hearing you speaking to us. And so we want to stop and prayerfully reflect before you on our lives and ask that you would show us where we're proud And that you'd show us what it's costing us. So I just want you to take a second. If you want to close your eyes, just close your eyes. That that usually is helpful. I'll just pray. Father, uh, I just ask that you'd show each one of us where there is pride in our lives. And then show us what it's cost us. Show us what it's cost us and the people around us, those that love us and depend on us. Help us to see what it cost us to be so self-reliant and defensive and argumentative and selfish and stubborn. Show us the pain and the difficulty it's brought. And if, you've, if you're sitting there and God's showing you things, he's bringing scenes to mind and you recognize that He's written on your wall many times, and, and you've ignored it. i just like you to pray a prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud, but I'm going to pray it. Just for, I'm going to pray a phrase, I'm going to wait, and then you pray it in your mind. And I'm going to pray a phrase, and you wait, and you pray it in your mind. And we're going to approach God, and we're going to do what Belshazzar should have done long before this moment where the handwriting was on the wall. And maybe he could have even done this then. Maybe God would have spared him. Maybe God would have rescued him from his folly. God's gracious and good. Father in heaven, I've been proud and arrogant. I've lived my life like I don't need you. You've spoken to me many times, but I've ignored you repeatedly. My stubborn pride has cost me and others dearly. Today, I humble myself before you and admit my foolish pride. In the name of Jesus Christ who died for me, I come to you asking you to forgive me and cleanse me from this pride.